I'm guessing this is where we want. Yeah, okay. Put your groove on, Mel. It's, it's early in the morning. Yeah, with the cup. I'm crying. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I'm not really good at dancing. <laughs> but it's not really dancing, it's chair dancing. It's just, yeah. Like mellow. Yeah, no one can see your feet. It feels like caffeine. <laughs> Chair dancing morning. There we go. Yep. Uh, I was just going to say, Peter's asking for a close up of the grin. <laughs> That's a heck of a mug. <laughs> that is a heck of a mug. It's, yeah, it's the Nightmare Before Christmas mug. So it has two faces. It's a character that's on that movie. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and it you looks like it will hold a giant cup of coffee too holy cow I, this is mug. what i need <laughs> it's two 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 cups in one it is yeah <laughs> hey good morning everybody yeah we've been lazing it about talking chit chatting here we haven't even acknowledged our friends in the in the chit chat we've got a, a really uh cool assortment of folks so someone was noting that they're here from berlin this morning Someone, uh, a couple of people from Ottawa, which is kind of cool, because like, that's us. <laughs> Florida, Maryland, um, there was something in South Carolina, Michigan, there was one, oh, Paris, there it is, I knew. And Madrid, holy crow. It's like we're- We've gone we're, global. <laughs> we've gone all around in the UK. Yeah, that's oh, totally awesome. Tennessee, very, very cool. Um, good morning, everybody. Chris here from Ottawa, along with Brent from Phoenix. And Mel Milloway joining us from Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. Where it's always sunny. Except for right now. It's a little <laughs> <laughs> All right. You sent us a little bit of rain because we had a monsoon roll in last night and it's been Ooh. very, very stormy and very humid and um, yeah, but nice for us. So it's all good. Does that mean the cactuses will bloom now, Brent? Uh, we hope, yeah. That's like springtime-ish. Okay. Yeah, yeah usually cool. it's quite hot there in the summer. So. Oh, yeah. You missed our wonderful 114-degree days. Those were my favorites. <laughs> Everybody loves them, that one. Yeah, we'll probably come back at least one more time before the end, the official end of summer. But so, so we enjoy it when the storms roll through, despite the humidity that we're not used to. But, Very cool. So we, we've introduced Mel insofar as we've said where she's from, but maybe we'll get to Mel to just give us a little biography of herself, a little introduction of herself, because, uh, uh, yeah, we've got a really cool thing to talk about here today. Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Melissa Milloway, and I am in the field of learning experience design, and I currently work at Amazon as a learning experience design manager. So I'm over here at the HQ in Seattle, Washington. Very cool. Um, and uh, one of the things we often like to ask, and I, I think it relates very much to today's topic too, is um, how'd you even get into this business in the first place? Because we'll come back to where you are now and what, and what you do, et cetera. Um, but uh, yeah, how did you end up doing this gig or this type of a gig, I guess? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, I'm one of those rare 
people that I've always been in the field. I, I didn't accidentally fall into the, the field of learning. So I think it's an interesting story, but a lot of people, it doesn't necessarily resonate with them because it's not the same as their story. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, during the, the re uh, recession, um, that's when I graduate, or I was about to graduate undergrad. And I was in my undergrad major was public relations in mass communications. And so a lot of people know me from social media. So that's my other passion. So you might get like a touch of that here and there. But, um, but yeah, so I was in a class for online journalism and I was teaching some people HTML and I was um, working on our online blog. It was the first blog our university ever had. And my professor said, I think you would be really interested in this program, instructional technology. You're so good at teaching people and you're really great at technology. <laughs> and so he actually introduced me to one of the professors um, of the program. And I went to their open house and I was sold immediately. I was like, this is, it combines everything I love. It's understanding how people learn in psychology. It's using technology to um, teach people and it's I get to create things. I was like, this is amazing. This is everything I ever wanted. So I went to every single open house until I graduated um, from my undergrad program. And then I got into the program. And at first I was a little hesitant. I was not quite sure if it was what I wanted, but I, I continued on and I really, really loved it so much. And I haven't looked back since then. So I really fell into it from my undergrad. So I went for, straight from my undergrad into my master's in it. That's almost that almost makes you a unicorn in our world. Yes, yeah, it, it looks like Eric also is an intentional ID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I, I kind of went the same path you did, except I, I did do a little two year stint with my undergrad degree at an actual job. I worked at a, I was a radio television major, so I was a bit of a techie. And then I worked in TV for a couple of years and then I went back and did the uh, that did the grad school in ed tech. And I was kind of sucked into it the same way as you. I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. Utilizing like video production and computers and all that. And then the instruction side of it and they're wrapping it all into one degree. And wow, you're even gonna let me into your program. This is great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the best because you don't get all of those different areas in one field all of the time. So it's really nice. You're never bored. You can do a lot of different things. So great. And you guys, so where did you go? This is a good story because I think this is actually how you and I originally met, I think, was because you graduated from Bloomsburg with us uh, and you knew Carl. So you took classes with Carl Kopp and uh, who was a guest on our show recently. And um, and then you were 30 under 30, I think, um, for uh, Maisie's event. And I think that's how we got connected, right? Was that it or did we connect? that i think it was a little before that but we did something around that with the the community um but i do remember that and i remember just a few weeks ago so brent brent and i have been doing these video chats for a for a while a i've just watched them from like 2014 and i'm like that's like five years ago how has it been so long um but they're out there on youtube so if anyone goes and searches they're, they're there but yeah, um, yeah, I, don't, I don't know quite how we met, but um, but yeah, I got into the field because um, 
I I actually owe everything to to Dr. Cap. So Carl Cap, he's the gamification. You know, I don't I don't even know what we want to call him, like king of gamification or something like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it works. He, he got me my internship at AstraZeneca for my master's program. And I'm from an extremely small town where there's not any opportunities. And so really that was like my first chance to like leave my hometown and get out. I had never even been on a train before. Like, like I was completely oblivious to the whole entire world. And it really, and now I'm in Seattle, which is absolutely crazy to me. I'm like, I never thought I would be here. Um, so I did my internship at AstraZeneca, and when I started in the field, I was actually an instructional technologist, which is very different from some of the other jobs that I've done. How would you define all of those different jobs and, and, and what they asked you to do kind of as you built your career, when you kind of look back on it over those years, give us a little bit of a progression of what that looked like for you. Because I know it looks different for everybody, but it's always interesting to kind of hear the, the path you took. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so for me, and I think one of the most important things I've learned about when looking for your career is really to be open to trying new things. You're not necessarily going to know unless you do try. And so I started, I started my first job was in more of an, a traditional instructional designer. I was doing like storyboards in Word and collaborating with um, subject matter experts. And I was working from home as well. And I really didn't like that. I'm a very social person and I love like the energy people give me in person. So um, I only lasted about six months in that role. And then I decided I wanted to go back into pharma. Pharma and pharma sales especially was where I had just this big passion from being at AstraZeneca. So I went to Johnson & Johnson um, on their pharmaceutical side, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, as an instructional technologist. And in that role, it was probably one of my, my favorites. Um, so what I got to do was I got to work with tons of vendors. So I did vendor management and work on um, technical specifications with them for different learning things that we were doing, such as like um, iPad apps for the salespeople. So we had content management systems. So I would work with them on um, connecting to IT and getting that deployed through like our app system. Um, also doing things with virtual instructor-led training. So I got to, to do be a producer on those events and plan them with the trainers. And I got to um, set up the whole studio and do all that. And so I just had a lot of fun because it was, it was working with people so closely. Also a little bit of design, designing classes, and then really working with that technology. So it was very technology driven and focused and working with people and being a liaison between lots of people. Mm -hmm. The connector. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Um, and, and so uh, you, you have something different that you do now. Was there something in between now though? And then that, and that, or, or what to let, let's, let's walk, let's run the path a little bit more. Yeah. Every job has been so similar and so different in so many ways. So in that role, I worked with vendors and a lot of vendors know me from that role. So I'll go to the, the expo floor and everyone's like, oh, hey, Melissa, like, and I stay in touch with them. And so I, I worked with a lot of e-learning vendors and I didn't like necessarily what they were doing. I was like, I, I want to do this. I was like, I think I could do it a little better. And I, that's just, 
it sounds ridiculous, but I was like, I wish they would do this and they wouldn't change things like when we were working with them. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to get into e-learning. So at this point, I did not do any e-learning design or development at all. And so I left that job to go to another job where I thought I was going to be doing e-learning because they, you know, sometimes you get into a job and you think it's going to be one thing <laughs> and then it's not. And um, it, it winded up being more traditional again. So then I went to another role where I did finally, I got to um, get into e-learning. And this is when I met Brent. So um, I don't know if Brent's always known me as being like an e-learning designer developer, but I haven't been. So for the for first like probably good three years, I didn't, I never even touched an e-learning offering tool. Yeah, that must have been where we first got connected then, because I think I was working for the guild at the time. I think. Yeah, yeah, you you could be. Um, I was probably I probably reached out and said, "Hey, do you want to speak? Give us deliver a session at the event." <laughs> I I was probably seeking people out <laughs> and saw you on the thirty under thirty and probably went, "Oh, there's somebody who's probably got something cool to say." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, that that could be it. it. It has been a while, so I don't know, but I I really. I dove into the e-learning stuff and um, I had done that up until like the past, I would say, um, like year ago. I mean, I dabble in it, help people every now and again, but I, I don't do too much of it um, design and development now. Well, you, you told me something interesting the other day and maybe I, maybe I shouldn't spill the beans, but you're like, you said, I don't really like doing e-learning, but that's why everybody knows me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had this LinkedIn conversation. I'm sure some people in the chat were a part of it, and most people know me from because I share a lot with e-learning and design and development. Which it's I don't really like it for my job. It's more of like a hobby thing. If I have some time, like on the weekend, or I'm intentionally doing it to help my team with something that they're struggling with, but I don't necessarily like put that out there to the world and say, hey, I'm helping my team with this thing and I'm just gonna share it with you. I more so do it because um, because of that or because it's something like fun that I wanna do as a hobby. And then it's like killing two birds with one stone. I'm like, well, I'm not just gonna keep it to myself. I'm sure it's gonna help someone. So then I share it. And so that's probably what people know me best for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So maybe um, Phyllis, let's 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 complete the last link in the chain though, and tell us a little bit about. I mean, you mentioned already Amazon and learning experience design, but tell us a little bit about what you're doing now because it, you just mentioned it's different than than the last one too. So yeah, yeah. When I first started at Amazon, I I came in as uh, instructional designer, and then the role slowly morphed into like more of this learning experience design role, which encompasses a lot of more of like the user experience and not just you know making e-learning or certain types of learning, but really focusing on what's what what is that person learner or user going to experience? And so, um, about ten months ago, I moved into a learning manager role, and so I've been wanting to do that for a while, and I was afraid to take the leap um, a little bit because I was unsure if I was the right person. You look at people who are in manager positions and you say like oh they must have something special about them like that they got there or it, it's like it's like this weird thing where you're like i don't know if i can do that 
Um, so I moved into that role because I was like, you know what, I'm never going to know unless I try. I love working with people and helping to grow people in that aspect of things. And I do it a lot, um, maybe like more on the side with other people at work and then also online, obviously. And I just took the leap in and I, I said, I went to my manager and I was like, hey, please give me this opportunity. I really, really want this opportunity. And so I've been doing that and I've never felt more fulfilled in my career in my life so far. <laughs> Awesome. It's fun. Questions about that, or you guys do? Well, it's very where we wanted to go, right? I mean, we talk about that transition and what that's like. And it sounds like initially, this is kind of what everybody gets into is that imposter syndrome. I think that phrase has come up quite a bit, and that kind of sounds like what you were describing, what you were feeling. Yeah, it's imposter syndrome. It's one of those things where you you know that you're that you can do it, but you you almost feel like, like, am I the right person? Like, are they looking at someone else to do this? Like, is someone better at it? Because I'm known for doing more design development work. And maybe, you know, leaders don't necessarily look at that as like something that's maybe helpful for a management, like a manager or anyone who's leading a team. And I think things are changing. I'm definitely a different type of manager. And my manager will tell me that too, like not in like a bad way, but just like different, like I'm, I'm different. Yeah. So, but I think it helps. Honestly, I think if you're leading a team, like a content development team, which is the type of team that I'm leading. So we, we have six folks on our team and they all design and develop um, different types of learning content, whether it's like videos or e-learning or like job aids of different sorts. Um, it, I think it's extremely important to have those skills. And so it's definitely a strength more than anything to have the design and development background. We absolutely need it to be able to even have a conversation about, you know, uh, expectations, goals, or, you know, what, what, what something's supposed to do. If you can't speak the language, you're not being able to help, you know, guide. Um, and you're probably also reverse imposter that, you know, people would question your uh, question, your reason for being their manager. If you can't speak the language and the lingo with that, you know, that experience background as well. Um, so they, they hand you this new job description and you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, this is, you know, next step on the, on the, on the square, uh, on the board game. Um, what kinds of things did you do to sort of shift into, uh, you know, this new role instead of being a, you know, a maker slash doer into that manager kind of thing? What kind of things, any, like, did you turn to different resources? Did you just sort of ask people how to do it? What was your, what was, how, how did you, how did you slide into that role? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's been a, it's been a pretty, easy transition for me i i wouldn't say like because a lot of a lot of the team like we're very close on the team and so for me it wasn't something where um it felt like unnatural whereas like i think a lot of people were like oh my gosh how, how do you feel about like your peers reporting to you like everyone asked me that question so like that question and then another question was like how are you going to cope with not designing and developing anymore and i was like these are things that they're they're not the things that um that are difficult for me i had different struggles like i think everyone moving into a different position is going to have dif dif different struggles or like how are you going to delegate things to people and i'm like 
I have absolutely no problem delegating everything to everyone. Like I have no, <laughs> I have no problem with it. Um, so it's weird because I've, because you think there's going to be these things that are a struggle and they're not. And then, then other things come up. So like for me, one of the things that, um, that I've been working on building and, and building in that is I'm one of the most empathetic per- people ever to sometimes a little bit of an extreme where I'm like, like, oh my gosh, I really, really feel for people. And like, but I also have to hold people accountable. So, so like, you have to have a good balance in everything. And I think one of the things that I've had to learn a lot more when working with people is having that balance, like having the balance of putting processes in place and holding people accountable to those processes, but also, you know, um, being there and being like, how do you feel? How do you feel about this change? Like, how do you feel about what's going on? Like, I'm really a people person. And so at my core, like I want to earn trust with people, but I also know that I have to move things forward. So that's been Mm -hmm. the biggest like adaptation. I know we didn't necessarily like want to go that direction, but (laughs) no, no, it's all part of the, yeah, for sure. It's all part of the pathway for sure. Yeah. I had someone, yeah, I had someone a long time ago in a previous career, um, say to me once that the hardest thing that that you'll ever do, I kind of that kind of a phrasing anyway, was to go from being a member of a team to actually managing, you know, that same team. Doesn't sound like you had that kind of a transition, um, but uh, I, I've heard that said by other people that uh, becoming the manager of the people that you've been colleagues with can be, it can itself be a challenge because of the change in the relationship. Yeah, and for me, I don't know. I'm I I don't feel like. I don't feel like the relationship is really that different. It's okay. weird. Yeah, it's, it's strange. I think it's a unique situation for me. I think if it were a different situation, it would be. Um, but for me, when I went into the conversation, like with when I've gone into conversations with anyone, it's like, it's not about me. It's about them. Like, I want to figure out like what, like, what can I do to prove myself to them? And like, what can I do to help them? in their career or help them. It's like, that's my main focus in any conversation, whether it's like with people like I'm mentoring or or like working with as a team. Yeah, this this fellow that said that advice, you know, was a pretty traditional, he was moving from sales, uh, you know, rep level to sales manager. So that's a, whereas the, maybe the creativeness uh, of the sort of looser kind of uh, relationship structure maybe in a creative field like you know what what we do might have make might make that a little bit shift that shift it's a different shift is what i'm thinking anyway yeah did um amazon have a lot of things in place for you like did they give you a whole whack of new e-learning courses in the lms <laughs> I, was gonna, I was gonna say the same thing did they put through a whole bunch of e-learning <laughs> well so so i'm not allowed to, to necessarily talk about amazon in depth about things but they have a, an immense like an amazing support network for okay. for those things i can't talk about that in detail but it's it's, it's very very helpful yeah so yeah. clearly clearly the organization though has you know, saying things in place to help you move into that transition. So that's yeah. And mentors, do you have like even some informal mentors that you kind of lean on to ask questions about and to kind of help? I do, and you know, one of them, Myra, Myra Roldan. <laughs> yeah. So Myra and I, I, we have a really good. I don't know if anyone knows her, but she's she's sometimes on these things and she's yep. all over social media, but. She and I have a lot of conversations where I don't know that she necessarily like thinks of herself as like my formal mentor, right. 
or any chance, but we, we have a lot of great conversations and she, she's always someone who is very thoughtful about her responses and she ha always has good, um, good things to say. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, everybody's got to have people that they can lean on outside of their immediate structure too, I think, because it helps get that unbiased, you know, opinion and perspective on what's going on to kind of help you think through. I know I, I like to think out loud. And so talking to somebody and bouncing ideas off of them back and forth has always been super helpful for me. So, yeah. And I think one of the most important things um, that's been an asset to me in working um, as a manager is I'm extremely candid. Like I'm the type of person who's very, very candid about things, but also I'm always willing and I do like admit my flaws and what I do right and what I do wrong. And I think people appreciate that, or at least I've been told people appreciate that. So if I screw something up, I'll never be like, oh, I, I, you know, somewhat, that's someone else's problem. They did that. Like I'm the first person to admit that, you know, I didn't do well on that or here I could have done better. Like, like, I think that's also been extremely helpful as as a skill too which i don't see a lot of people in leadership really do sometimes when you, when you move into that kind of a role there's you you gotta you've got the front you know the um yeah the illusion of of authority or something that can definitely get in the way um i have a friend who's a police officer and the first time i saw him in uniform on the street um, I, you know, went up and, and in the normal tone of, of our conver typical conversations, I started chatting and, and he was very stiff and formal. And, um, and then it took me a while to realize that that part of that was him putting on the uniform of, uh, you know, and that, that, uh, that came with it. And there's maybe something like that, that happens too. When people move into something with a title like management, there's maybe sometimes that mm, I have to have to, I have a, a poker face or, or a manager face maybe to, to put on for there. So, yeah. Um, there's a couple of questions in the actual question panel. Oh, and by yeah. the way, there's been really awesome sharing in the chat um, yeah. uh, about people, you know, different reflections on their own paths through the world, et cetera. And we, we haven't been able to sort of circle back in. Maybe we'll get there, but let's do the couple of the questions. Hi, Mel. Could you speak more about the makeup of the team you lead? Does everyone create videos, e-learnings, job aids, et cetera? Is there a designated person by product type? That's kind of one of our uh, ongoing things. We're always fascinated if people have exact skills or is everybody just being everything a generalist or or a generalist or a specialist that yeah. conversation always comes up how, how does your team set it up yeah i love talking about this and i love hearing about the makeups of everyone else's teams too so so we have six people on our team and we're part of like a bigger global team um we've got people in costa rica people in prague people in apac india manila um, we've got people all over the u.s and then like our team, we have mostly everyone's in Seattle, except we have one person who is a contractor that's in Dallas. Um, so our team, are, they're learning experience designers. And so we have an intake form for all of our projects. And so what I do is I allocate projects to people. And so um, they own the projects end to end. So everyone has, um, similar skills, but everyone has like their own specialty. Like we have one person who's like really amazing at design. So they they might do a little bit more for our team like design wise or help coach people in like that area of design. And we have someone else who's like amazing at accessibility and accessibility standards and checking for those things. So um, what 
part of my role is is to see like those talents and people and help them drive that forward that area forward on our team and help everyone get up to speed so um so everyone owns a project end to end and needs to be able to do everything it's just that some people might be more naturally skilled in one area because it's um, something that they've done for a really long time versus someone who's maybe new to that area. Is and, there and so, any opportunity? Oh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so so you, the person owns the project, but there are other people who will maybe contribute or reinforce different pieces of it based on on strengths. That's what, that's what yeah. I'm hearing. Some, sometimes. And it yeah. can just be like a little thing like... Mm -hmm. Um, like just maybe like one animation that goes inside yeah. something or, but usually it's, it's not something where we just like help each other. And it's like, you're in this wheelhouse. It's one of those things where it's like, even if someone helps on the project, you show that person like how they did that thing. So like that they can get up to speed. So for instance, like implementing X API, that's something like I brought to the team and I was like, we're all by the end of the year having ex going to be able to execute XAP on our project. So like, that's, that's something that like, I initially just knew in one other person on the team and now the whole team knows how to do. So it's, it's something where it's, I am not scalable. I am not scalable as one person, but I can, can put it out to other people and help them do it. And then there's no business continuity issues. There's no, you know, um, it, we're all about upskilling each other. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the the skill sets that you have, because there's a lot of folks, probably even in the chat, that are one-person teams. And so these days, would you recommend to people, I mean, I'm sure people have started reaching out to you as their mentor as well to kind of ask this kind of stuff. But what, how, how would you sort of explain to somebody to kind of go through the instructional design process and learn it and what resources do you recommend and do you, do you tell them you should, you know, do development versus instructional design or focus on design or how do you talk people through that? Yeah, it's, I think that's, I think that's a really difficult question because everyone, every company and department's going to need different things and maybe not every single one needs an e-learning developer maybe people outsource things i think it's good to know a little bit about everything but to specialize in one thing or one area and then maybe to grow into other areas and at least that's what i've done and i think it's worked pretty well because it's um it's allowed me to kind of shift into one like if i know a little bit about one thing and I'm like, well, I know a little, I can learn more if we need to go in that direction. So I think it's important to know a little bit about all those things. And mostly because I was on smaller teams before, um, I learned everything online. So I wasn't going out and getting a bunch of books on instructional design. I mean, there's so so many good resources online like this and like on, on Twitter and through articles and just connecting with people and asking people questions in these communities. So my best recommendation is just to connect with people and, and go from there. And that's, uh, that was kind of the question that Dahlia had posed in the, in the chat was that same, you know, what kind of resources did you find out, uh, find most helpful? You know, we, 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 we made the joke earlier, the comment earlier about accidental versus intentional instructional designers, but even within, uh, you know, no matter which direction you might've come from, as you start actually doing a project, you end up becoming in some ways accidental 
having ex accidental expertise in different things because this one project needed this one thing that you haven't done before. And then that, so even on that kind of more micro level, not even on the big career path level, the micro level of individual projects can actually end up taking us down some pretty amazing paths when we discover like, ooh, this is really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like even when it comes to, to measurement and the whole piece with XAPI, and I know a lot of people know I'm passionate about XAPI, um, but it's not XAPI, it's more so like the measurement of these different experiences and how do you prove that? And that's where it stems from. And then it's like, well, how am I gonna do this? And it's like, oh, I could do it through XAPI and like, here's the positives of it. So um, that's one of those things where I, you know, went into the community, like, I remember talking to Craig Wiggins on one of these about it initially, and I was like, Craig, I don't, I don't care about XAPI, I don't know what you're talking about. Now I'm like all on the XAPI train. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's one of those things where it stemmed like from like one small project, like that I implemented, and I was like, wow, there's so much more potential for this. And then I reached out to the community and learned more. And so that's one of those where you can really go into a whole direction with that. Yeah, for sure. We hear that uh, people will say to us, you know, well, you know, we want to use XAPI and you kind of say, well, what do you want to use it for? What's the problem? Because it's the problem that then leads you to discover how, uh, you know, how uh, potentially unlimited really XAPI is in all the different directions. But uh, the idea of I'm going to learn XAPI, yeah, you, you, it, it, it benefits from a concrete thing that you're trying to solve or, or what have you. Um, Angela's got a, a question. Your description sounds like a team of transformative leaders. How do you choose people with these mindsets during the selection process? Do you bring people around who do not have this mindset or experience working in a team connected like this? Um, the team that you're working with, uh, are they the same people that you started with or have you actually, have you done any hiring yourself so far? Uh, yeah, I've I've done hiring. Um, I've done hiring, and I I also help people interview for other teams as well because we have a huge learning community. And um, in in our organization, it's very easy to transfer to different teams and roles. And I would say it's even encouraged to grow your skills in in different areas and really learn about the business and different things like that. And so. So for me, I don't necessarily like look for someone who has who, who ticks off the box in every single thing. Like, I think what's important is you have someone who's willing and able to learn new things and wants to learn new things and continue to try new things and have that potential. Like it has to be someone that has the potential, obviously like some skills you absolutely really do need at least some foundations in, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would look for someone that especially is passionate and wants to learn and is able to learn and apply new things and accept feedback. Mm -hmm. Looking more for a, a, a mindset then of, of learning and uh, um, uh, wanting to be breadthful rather than maybe a niche or a specific set of skills. I One of my first bosses said, hire people who are smarter than you. I'm like, okay, if he's telling me that, uh, <laughs> he's made the wrong choice, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's scary for a lot of people though, right, Mel? I mean, you're, you're really confident in your skills and your abilities, and I think that confidence shows, and I think that helps you be a better manager when you have a lot of confidence in, in what you know and what you can do and the experiences that you have. It gives you that ability to let go of needing to own stuff, you know, and you're able to delegate more freely and to, and to help other people and lift them up because you don't feel threatened by it. Yeah, no. And honestly, I, I, 
I think the the best thing, and I I used to be a big like MMO player, like I used to play this game World of Warcraft, where you have these different characters. There's like the warlock and the priest, and the warlock does damage, and the priest heals, and are like I see like a team like that. Like a team is everyone has different strengths, and we help each other. So I have one strength, and it's all the people on the team have strengths that I don't have. Like, like there's, and I learn something new every day from every single person on my team. And like, like it's, it's really cool to, to be able to do that. And, and I feel like they all feel the same way about each other. So it, yeah, it's, it's just really great. It's great to have that harmony of having the, of strengths and, and helping each other in that way. So I, I would definitely say when looking for people, you look for someone who has a strength that you're like missing, maybe. Yeah, and it, it, it can be so daunting. I, I've, I've coached a few people over the last couple of years or so. Well, probably before that too, but um, that are between jobs, right? And they're looking for work and they're asking me if I know of anything that's available. And so I start looking and I start kind of helping them through the process a little bit. And when you look at the job descriptions that people post these days, it's like, holy cow, nobody in the world has this entire laundry list of skills and whatnot. And it, it scares a lot of people. And I always just say, forget about all that stuff that's listed there. You know who you are. Do you think you can help them in what you perceive their needs are? And then if you feel like you can sell yourself and what you can do for them and everything else will just work out. They'll forget about that list. Some HR person probably wrote it anyways. And the person that's hiring just needs somebody to get the work done. So get, you just got to get your foot in the door, right? I mean, it's, that's the hardest thing when it comes to, when it comes to new jobs or even trying to move into a new role, like looking at something and letting that be a blocker. And for such a long time, I let it, I did leave it let it be a blocker. There were a lot of jobs um, like a few years ago that I looked at and I was like, well, I shouldn't even bother applying and you should always just go for it. Like that's a hundred percent. Like, like I am a different person than I was a few years ago and I'm much more confident in just asking, asking for what I, what I want and saying, what will it take for me to get here? Like I'll do it. I'll figure it out. Like what will it take? And you just have to do that. And that's kind of what happened with me moving into this role was, was I had to let people know if no one knows, no one will do anything. No one's going to just like hand something to you or I mean, like maybe in a few rare cases, but you just have to like go for it and make a plan to, to upscale yourself into that area. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because just, uh, Ketzel just dropped into the chat also, uh, otherwise known as Q sometimes. Uh, so. Um, it, he and I were just chatting the other day and it's, it's the very same thing. Like you two are very similar in your experiences and in, in the work that you do. Cause it's, you've got that mentality of, Hey, I'm just going to get the job done for you. And, it, and, it, and if I don't know how to do it, I'm going to figure out how to do it. And I'm just, and I'm going to make it happen. And that that's, it's just that simple. You, we, we will produce something. I may not know exactly how just yet, but we'll, we'll get you something and we'll get it done. And, and it makes that mentality and that mindset, I think more than anything makes the difference, but you gotta be able to show that to somebody and that's hard to put in a resume. Yeah, it, it's very, it's very difficult. It's very difficult, especially if people don't, if they don't know you, um, they're just going off of that. They, and then you may internally be like, oh, I know how to do this and I can do this, but 
yeah, they, they're looking at your resume and that's, yeah. Yeah, SEO for resumes, right, Alan? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think about the number of times I've seen, um, say, a job posting or something from a company, you kind of think, oh, that's a lot of familiar verbiage. I'm, I'm now thinking, next time you look at a job in uh, a job posting and it's list the qualifications, just do a search on that and just see if they've actually just copy pasted it from someone else's job posting. Because, uh, like Brett said, the person, the HR team may have defined something or have to put something up, but that that may have just been the simplest action is let's just copy a what's something that looks like a best practices job description for this job so yeah yeah i think networking and showing your work which obviously is something that mel has been fantastic at so if any of you want to know how to get known and how to get connected with people um, mel has has been super fantastic at that and just getting out there and i think in this day and age, that's just it's a great way to promote yourself. Even if you currently have a job, you should always be out there and be interacting and, you know, networking and, and showing some of the work that you do and helping others and just engaging in the community of professionals because that's how the doors and the opportunities open up for you, right? Yeah, they, they really do because then you build that network and then if you are interested in making a career pivot and or doing something different that you you maybe can't do in your company, you have those those people that can help you get to that next place and and let you know like what what you maybe you need to do because maybe they know something like, Oh hey, I see that you're here now, like this is what you need to do to fit into like a role here or do something like that. And often I've heard a lot of people say things like that. And I think you the one thing people don't do that I see a lot of people give advice, but then they don't act on it. And then they kind of wonder like, oh, why didn't I get that position or why can't I? So one of the things like I try to do when I talk to anyone about anything is like, even moving into this role, like, what do you need to see from me differently? Like, what do you, what do you see? Like being really critical about your skills and yourself and and then building on that. So I think that's extremely important when you're looking for a job and you're you may not have gotten one in like e-learning or something like like what do you think that I that you need to do to to change that so that you do have that opportunity. What what was it like when you got your Amazon job? I I do I think I do remember you being a little bit stressed out about moving across the country to your new job. <laughs> no, I actually lived here. So, yeah, so I mean, I'm thinking of somebody else. Somebody else I know moved across the country to the new job, and it was a bit stressful. Yeah, I don't know. So I moved to Seattle on a whim, really. <laughs> um, my my partner and I moved here, and um, I was here for probably like five, six months before um, I even talked to anyone at Amazon. And then I went to lunch with someone, and they sort of recruited me. Um, so I was already here, but I, yeah, it was very, it was very stressful. I would say just because I had never been in such a large company before. And so there's, and it's brand new and I had only lived here for a little while. So I would say it was like, a, it was a little stressful for me, but not because of the company, but just because of the situation and it being so different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I didn't even look at the time. Geez, time flies by, Chris. Look at that. Uh, it does. Um, we'll, it does. we'll squeeze in one more question because it's a really neat one from Stephanie. Go for uh, it. 
What do you recommend to get started putting yourself out there on social media? Yeah, so um, so for me, one of the things um, that I first did was just look for people that you're interested in and connect with them. I think building your network's the first thing and then starting to, to post things that interest you and that might also interest them. So I remember when I first started on LinkedIn and I think I have, I have like 12,000 connections now and I only started with a, a few um, back when I was in Philly and we started like this Philly meetup. So I really got to know people in person in my area and I know not everyone can do that, but that was extremely helpful. And then because they knew me in person, they would engage with me online. And so um, building that network in person was was one of the things that was critical for me. And then just starting to meet people who weren't in Philly and like talking with them, just like commenting on people's posts. I think a lot of people get started by just not posting themselves, but being a part of the conversation. So I think that's just as important. And then it, it's really about building building that network and then engaging with it. And I think that's honestly the most important thing. And then if you're into e-learning and things, starting to show your work, like that's super key too, and getting feedback from people and just making sure you respond to everyone. I can, don't respond to LinkedIn messages, but every time I post, people will notice I comment, I reply to almost every single person. And that's really been key in like keeping people engaged. Like if you're going to take the time to comment on something, like I'm going to take the time to respond. So I think it's really important. Yeah. I learned that from Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, oh, I think I know that. who that is. Yeah. 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 So he, he talks a lot about that whole engagement theory and that it's how important that is. And you're, you're living proof of how well that works. <laughs> Very cool. Is there another question in there or did we get them all? Well, Peter did ask a question about technical, uh, what level of technical expertise, i.e. AWS or cloud skills, do you want on your team? And I think we, we were roughly at that time also just talking about that generally as well, that, you, you know, you mentioned, Mel, that you, you know, looking more for that willingness to, to learn maybe, uh, et cetera, rather than necessarily having all of the, uh, all of those exact skills. Yeah, and it's weird. I wanted to write a blog post about this, but I'm not like, I don't think people should say I'm going to learn storyline or I'm going to learn um, AWS. Like it should be like, I'm going to learn how to design really well for people or I'm going to learn how to um, make sure like I develop really well, like or I am going to make sure like I have technical skills, but I don't think it should necessarily be in like, one specific tool. It's about having the ability to use that tool properly and create things that are that work for people. It's not about like how many triggers and variables you can use in Storyline. It should be about like, can you design a really good learning experience and then develop it? It's not and make make it usable. Like it's not about the technical piece per se. Yeah, I I cool. think people in the wrong in the wrong way sometimes well we are also in addition to being people people so many of us are also geeky people and we can get ourselves down rabbit holes too of i'm gonna you know go go way way down and, and uh and we've chatted at different times about the you know the potential for actually losing track of the big picture sometimes so yeah alan says be like water <laughs> Be like water. That's our Buddhist moment for the day. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm all bubbly right now. 
<laughs> Very cool. Probably a good opportunity for us to, to dance on out of here. It's been an absolutely fabulous chat, Mel. Hope you'll come back again and join us uh, either for a follow up for this or, or some other things that, uh, that might be able to be helpful to folks. We've had an awesome uh, amount of conversation in the chat too. Some really cool sharing going on in there. Um, and a couple of people with their sarcastic comments and keep those up. We like those a lot. <laughs> anyway, awesome. Thanks so much, gang. Let's, uh, let's roll the tape. <laughs> Thanks again, Mel. It's always great to see you. Thank you. Thanks. Let's see that big coffee mug one more time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what?